Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Have you ever felt both unwanted but also needed? Odds are that you know what it feels like to be unwanted and the pain of it, the rejection, the questioning that comes with it. And likely you've also experienced what it's like to be needed as well when someone recognizes your value and needs your help and enjoys being around you. But can you imagine being both at the same time? I honestly don't know that I've ever experienced feeling both of these things at once. Maybe there was that awkward moment in elementary school where sides are being chosen for recess kickball and you're the last one. No one wanted you, but to keep the game fair, they still need you. Or maybe you're a professional dentist. You're very much needed, but people don't want to go. Uh, Or uh, perhaps you're a parent whose children on a daily basis remind you that your presence, opinions, and boundaries are not wanted. And what first starts out with screams and tantrums becomes replaced with a variety of eye rolls, sighs, grunts, and side eyes. And ironically, I did get permission to confess that for your teenagers. And yet, despite being unwanted in those ways, your children probably still recognize that without you, there is no food on the table, their phone stops working, and the internet is off, right? You are still needed, but also unwanted. Now, it is a weird place to be, to be both unwanted and yet still needed. And and for those of us who have found ourselves in those situations, it can be very impossible to navigate. And yet the irony is, is that for the followers of Jesus, that weird place is precisely where we are called to be. So last weekend, we finished Jesus' opening to the famous Sermon on the Mount, which is called the Beatitudes. And in them, Jesus tells his followers or disciples about the people who are welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. And in doing so, Jesus began to turn the world upside down because it was the weak and the oppressed, the, the destitute, the people who got in the way of nice society who were actually prized by Jesus and his father. Now, however, Jesus switches from talking about the people who are blessed and welcomed into the kingdom to talking directly to those who are following him, to his disciples. And as he begins talking to them, he seems to be trying to answer this unspoken question. And the question is this, what relationship do his followers have in this world? And so Jesus teaches us this. This is Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for any, anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, so in short, the main point of today is that as important as salt and light are to the world, so are the disciples of Jesus important to human flourishing. Now, For us modern humans, we tend to have expansive spice cabinets and color-changing LED lights. 
So plain salt and an oil lamp are not that impressive, nor do they seem that important. So how important can Jesus' followers actually be? Well, let's start with salt. If there were product placement ads in Jesus' day, many of them would have been about salt. So food too boring and tasteless for you, try salt because it's your only option. Uh, your food spoiling too soon in the swelter of the Judean desert, try salting it. That's the only way it's going to keep. Uh, looking for something to make your religious sacrifices more appropriate to the gods, throw some salt in with it. Uh, your crops not growing as they should, try mixing some salt into the fertilizer. Things will grow better. Or conversely, your neighbor who bothers you, uh, you wanna, you're tired of him, throw a lot of salt into his field and then nothing will grow and maybe he'll have to leave. So the point being, salt was incredibly important to the daily lives of ancient people except for maybe the last one. And so important was salt to the ancient world that in Jewish writings, salt is, no joke, listed as one of the basic necessities for human life. And so you have this lovely rabbinical saying that goes, the world cannot endure without salt. Or to quote Jesus himself, salt is good. Salt really was about the only way to flavor anything and to preserve it for most of human history. And so it was a big part of everyday life. And yet salt also had spiritual significance too. So as the prophet Moses is explaining proper sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, where God lays out the law for the people of Israel, he commands them in Leviticus 2 to season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. Salt was viewed as a symbol of eternity because it supposedly isn't destroyed by fire. You can try that out later. And so its inclusion in the sacrifice was meant to be this reminder of a binding eternal covenant between the worshiper and God. And the use of salt in religious services was common throughout the ancient world. Salt was also an image of purity, as it always remained salt whenever, no matter what you threw it into. Um, it made things salty, so to speak, rather than just being lost. And so you'd even find salt as part of wedding ceremonies to represent the purity of the union. There's also some mention of salt being used to wash babies after they're born, but I'm not sure if that was strictly a ritual, as you're hoping for the future of the child and its blessing, or if it was kind of just the ancient baby version of Old Spice. So Jesus could have been talking about any one of these, or all of them. But I think his point is that salt was widely recognized as being incredibly important to human flourishing. Everyone needed salt. Now we see this too with light, and I am not even going to try to argue this one. So instead, just think back to last week when there was sunshine, and it was over 70 degrees, and wasn't that something? Or just imagine a world without light, and I mean more than a northwest winter, like the sun actually goes out. And I'm not being dramatic, but we would literally die. Right? Things wouldn't grow, we'd freeze to death, and we couldn't watch people play baseball. Which, with the way the Mariners are playing this month, that's almost a blessing. So physically and emotionally, we still cannot survive without light. Now, within the Bible, Light is used to describe things like life and hope and resurrection and guidance and grace and love, the gospel, the power, presence, and power of God, or the glory of God, and Jesus himself, just to name a few things. And so, yes, 
Light is very important, even with our dimmable LEDs. Salt and light are basic human necessities. There can be no true human flourishing without these two things. And so Jesus says to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are not just important to the world, you are crucial. Now, pause here, because do you catch some of the irony of Jesus' statement? Because who is he talking to? Who are the disciples that he has welcomed into this kingdom of heaven? It's the poor and the mourning, the hungry, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers, the persecuted. The very people whom the world has declared as unimportant, whom the world has forgotten and abused and oppressed. The very people who would probably have agreed with the world that they have no value to it. These are the people who are vital to its very existence, to its flourishing, at least according to Jesus. And whom would the world say is necessary to its flourishing? The rich politician? The famous performer? The talented singer? Or today, the effervescent YouTube influencer with a zillion followers? Or whoever created the internet? But according to Jesus, the people most important to the world are the humble, everyday humans who follow him. Now, before we try to make sense of this nonsense and figure out how these people can actually be important, there is a problem. Because Jesus doesn't actually begin talking about the relationship his followers have with the world right here, starting with salt and light. And if you were here last week, Josh actually transitioned us into it. So here's the true start of where Jesus begins talking about our relationship. And it's in Matthew 5, verse 11. Blessed are you, my followers, my disciples, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As important as his disciples are to the world, they're also hated and hurt and chased off by it. Though desperately needed by the world, they are deeply unwanted because of the upside-down ways of the kingdom of heaven undermine the broken systems, values, and lives of this world. And so the very first thing that actually defines the life of a disciple in this world is suffering. And it's not just suffering in general. All humanity experiences that. Specifically, Jesus tells us that those who follow him will suffer because they follow him. That we suffer because of him. But even then, though suffering because we are unwanted and despised, we join in the long tradition of the prophets who carried the message of hope to people in desperate need of God. And so it's with this understanding that we will suffer as his followers, that Jesus then describes us as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I think this is why we get the specific warnings to eat or to both salt and light that follow. So again, here's Matthew 5, 13 through 15 in the context of suffering. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. See, the most natural response to suffering and persecution and insults is either to leave or to fight. And in fact, I imagine that as Jesus' followers sat listening to him say that they're going to suffer in the world, they began forming plans for how they're going to escape. I mean, the desert is plenty big for another commune out there. And then perhaps we could run and build our own villages and towns and form our own nation just of people comprised of the kingdom of heaven. Or maybe they just got their knives out and started sharpening them. And yet Jesus cuts them short. Because yes, they are unwanted by the world, but the world needs them. And so, if someone is going to follow Jesus, then he has at least two expectations for them. And once again, we'll start with salt. Now, there is some thought that when salt was mined in the ancient world, it wasn't 100% pure, and as we have today. And so over time, the salt would be separated from the minerals, and then you'd be left with something you thought was salt, but actually wasn't salt any longer. More likely, though, I think Jesus is just presenting us with a paradox. Salt alone makes everything salty. There's nothing that can make salt salty. Unsalty salt is nonsensical. If it ain't salty, it ain't salt. It's just rubbish to be thrown out of the house. Now, the word that Jesus uses to describe this process of becoming unsalty is kind of intriguing, though we tend to translate around it because it seems out of place. So what the NIV here translates as loses its saltiness, or others translates as becomes tasteless, is quite literally, if the salt becomes foolish. Now, I think this is key because Jesus isn't really talking about salt, is he? He's talking about people. And so a person who follows Jesus is the salt of the earth. But if they become foolish, then they are no longer effective and cannot benefit the world as they should as Jesus' followers. Because despite suffering from the world, Jesus expects those who follow him to benefit the world, just as real salt does. Now, this idea of becoming foolish also plays out here with light, because it absolutely makes no sense that a city up on a hill can't be seen, or to light a lamp and then hide it, right? I mean, what was the point of lighting it in the first place? Janelle, and I suppose myself now, love candles. Odds are that if you ever come over to our home, there is a candle lit. One, for ambiance, because they're nice. But two, if we're honest, it's to cover the smell of the mill that seeps into our house on occasion. <laughs> now, uh, long view. Um, so we don't depend on this candle to see. But in Jesus' day, most houses were just a single room without windows, and the lampstand was actually this little shelf built up on the wall, and so you'd light your oil lamp and stick it up there so you could actually see what was happening inside the house. And so if you light this lamp, but then stick it under a basket, everyone is still knocking things over in the dark. It doesn't benefit anyone by being lit. A city on a hill should be seen. A lamp lit is meant to give light These things are not meant to be hidden because that would be foolish. And so despite suffering 
and still being expected to benefit the world, Jesus also expects his disciples to be present in it. They're supposed to benefit it like salt, and they must still be present as an unhidden light. Now, what does it mean for Jesus' disciples to become foolish so that they're of no use to the world and that they are hidden from it? Now, Jesus actually describes what it means to become foolish in this very same message. And it crops up just as Jesus concludes his teachings in Matthew 7. So, Matthew 7, at the very end, starting in verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so a disciple becomes foolish where they have no benefit to the world nor present in it, when they hear the words of Jesus, but actually abandon his way of life. They're just Jesus' audience, not actually his followers anymore. But the disciple who stays and continues to bless the world is the one who takes Jesus' teachings and lives them. And it is this life of following Jesus that leads them to be present in the world, useful to it, and able to bear the sufferings that the world brings. And if the disciple does this, then they aren't just salty, but they're actually the salt itself. They aren't just the lamp, but they are the light itself. And wherever they go, simply by their very nature as, Jesus is, as followers of Jesus, they bring flavor, and they shine brightly. And this is not through their accomplishments. It is not through their intelligence, nor even how attractive they appear. It is simply because they follow Jesus. And so Jesus does not command them to be salt or to be light, because they already are. Instead, he's clear. If you follow me, then you are these things to the world. And so then, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, as salt and light, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father, or your father in heaven. Simply, by following Jesus amidst suffering, he says that the good things you do will bring people to praise God, these people who need him but have not wanted him. And so the world desperately needs the people who follow Jesus. It desperately needs them to do the good that simply following him produces, even while insulted, persecuted, and hated. Because it's only in that way, it seems, that people will actually recognize who God is and praise him. As one of Jesus' disciples named John wrote in a letter to a church, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, then God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We are how the world is supposed to see God. And so the world desperately needs the people who follow Jesus. Somehow, we've become comfortable with the idea of separating 
being a Christian from actually following and living the way of Jesus. And I'm not going after so much about whether people are saved or not, or whether they are intrinsically valuable, or whether God loves them, but simply of their benefit to others, of being in the world, of helping people know, love, and follow Jesus. The world does not need people who claim the words of Jesus, but do not live them, who assent to his teachings, but do not practice them, who carry his name as a political banner, but care nothing for his values. And history is full of horrors perpetrated by Christians who do not follow Jesus. That they are the salt that has become foolish, hidden lights that have deepened the darkness, and they were of no benefit to this world. And yet, if people simply live as his disciples, if they both hear and practice the normal, everyday way of Jesus, then they are salt and light. They are present and useful And their good deeds will reveal who God is. This world cannot endure without salt and light. And so the world desperately needs you to follow Jesus. Like the people listening to Jesus on that hillside 2,000 years ago, you're probably wondering how you are needed, whether that's in your home or at your work or where you live, your community, the world. Because I'm just a fill-in-the-blank at fill-in-the-name-of-the-place-you-work-live-or-go-to-school. Right, I am just a mother with a bunch of kids in Cowlitz County. And yet the world desperately needs you to follow Jesus. I am just a teacher at a local school. And the world desperately needs you to follow Jesus. I'm an IT specialist in Longview. And the world desperately needs you to follow Jesus. I'm an empty nester out in Castle Rock, and the world desperately needs you to follow Jesus. Or I'm a student at Kelso, Ari Long, Mark Morris, Castle Rock, or Monticello, Cowieman, or Huntington, and the world desperately needs you guys to follow Jesus more than it needs anything else. And even if you are more accomplished, if you have authority in the community or influence at work or school, if you are fabulously wealthy or have a zillion Facebook friends or you created the internet, none of that is what makes you a basic necessity to the flourishing of the places and the communities in which you live. Because your greatest value to the world is your life with Jesus. It is your journey of being with him, of becoming like him, of doing what he would do. And you simply have to continue that journey. It's not given to the fears and the pressures of this world. Because that is what the world needs. It needs you following Jesus in the places you live and you work and you go to school. And by your very nature as his follower the good things you do, especially the small and the seemingly ordinary and everyday good, that is going to bring others to see and praise God. That is how we are called to live as the followers of Jesus because that is precisely how he himself lived. No one is more needed by this world and despised by it than Jesus. And the suffering that he alludes to here in the Sermon on the Mount is finally revealed upon the cross upon which he died and which he commands his followers also to bear. 
the light of the world, is a title Jesus shares with us. And the greatest irony of all is that the light shone nowhere more brightly than when it was dying on a cross. For it was there that the heart of God was most clearly seen to a world that has needed him but has hated him. The cross was the greatest work amidst hatred, persecution, and insults. And yet it was also the greatest blessing and act of presence possible. And so Jesus invites his followers and tells us, follow me. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have called us into something so big and so important, uh, even though it feels like we are unworthy of it. Please give us the courage to, to simply follow you every day amidst pushback and amidst the pressures we face so that we can be a blessing and can be a benefit to the places we live and in doing so help others to recognize you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.